Well, good morning again, Leslie Avenue. Good morning. Those of you who are here and those who are watching from home, we appreciate uh, you getting out this morning after such a noisy, stormy night. Hope everyone is all right. And appreciate those that join us virtually. Perhaps as more and more of us get uh, shots vaccinated, we'll be able to all feel much more comfortable being back uh, together as we really should be. The topic this morning, as you can see, is called April Fools. I mean, this week is coming up on one of my favorite days of the year, April the 1st. It's amazing that society decided to put a date celebrating me uh, for April Fool's Day. I've always considered that my day because uh, I, I enjoy it so much. If you think back to growing up, I really suspect all of us here, anyone watching at home, has been involved in April Fool's on one side or the other. We either have been the one involved in mischief, doing, pulling April Fool's jokes, or we've been on the receiving end. You can always, it happens so early, think back, you know, a little boy in first or second grade will tell a little girl that she's got a spider in her hair or something, and as she screams and tries to get her hair, or the spider out of her hair, he'll say, April Fool's, ha ha ha, right? And so it, it's a way of, of joking, and I always looked at that as learning how to tell if somebody's really being level with you. That's not a bad skill to have in life, uh, but uh, it's bad if you end up having a spider in your hair at some point. So the Bible talks a great deal about fools and foolishness. Fools and foolishness. So when you think about April coming, right, there are a lot of topics you could discuss in April. April, remember the old rhyme, April showers bring May flowers, so you can talk about flowers in the Bible and rain in the Bible. Um, April 15th is coming, you can talk about the Christian's relationship to government. That's never a fun thing to discuss. But uh, I decided, no, I want us to talk about April Fools. The Bible has a lot to say about fools. Uh, the word fool and fools in plural occurs 111 times in the, in the Bible. Uh, foolish occurs 52 times. Foolishness occurs 20 times. And foolishly occurs 12. So that's a whole lot of occurrences of either the word fool or a person being called a fool or somebody behaving like a fool. The Hebrew word that's translated fool is this word lisk. Uh, it means fool, stupid fellow, dullard, that's a word we use every day, dullard, simpleton, or arrogant one. It's translated as fool, fools, foolish, foolish mans, or fools. Getting the distinct impression we pretty well know what that word means. Fool. Greek, it's moros. And if you think for a moment, you'll think of a word that's in English usage that comes from that word. Uh, it means foolish, impious, or godless. From the Greek perspective, it goes beyond merely not thinking things through, but specifically being impious in a broad sense that even the pagans back in the Greek society would have thought of as impious or godless. And it is also translated foolish fool or foolishness. Let's take a look at some of the Bible verses that talk about fools. If being a fool from a religious biblical perspective is a bad thing, then I want to know what the Bible considers uh, foolish behavior or being a fool. Back in Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3, and in Psalm 52, verses 1 through 3, it starts off, The fool has said in his heart, 
There is no God. In so many ways, this is the most basic level of foolishness. Paul in Romans chapter 1 talks about that there is no excuse. The world has been made with all sorts of evidence every single morning for there being a creator and the need for a creator. There is no excuse. God is there. We can spend some time one of these days talking about how we know God is there. The moral argument. There is a difference between Adolf Hitler from so many years ago and probably your grandmother. No matter how strict your grandmother may have been, she may have needed to be strict with thorough, I don't know. But no matter how strict she was, she wasn't trying to do some of the horrific things that Hitler did. There's a difference. To say there is no God says there's no difference between your grandmother and Osama bin Laden. Your grandmother and a serial killer. That's what you're committing your life to, is that I'll eat the cookies of whoever makes them. A serial killer or my grandmother. It makes no difference to me. You're committing your life to there being no difference in the end between those people. The argument from design, the body is a wonderful machine. Your, your stomach can digest pretty much anything put into it because it's got these acids in it. Do not try this at home, but the acids in your stomach can digest a penny. Please do not swallow a penny. Anyone that watches this, don't do it. But that stomach with all those acids that can digest anything from jalapenos to whatever does not eat a hole, usually, in it and just pour out onto the floor. Why doesn't the stomach digest itself? Because it's been designed where the entire internal lining of your stomach replaces itself every three days. It's built and designed so that the acids do not eat away the stomach. It's only when something goes wrong that you end up with an ulcer. And that is where the stomach is beginning to eat through the layers inside. What a wonderful machine that works and digests all that junk food that we tend to throw at it. There's also the requirement for a beginning. Science 150 years ago had said that the earth is eternal, the universe is eternal and self-existing, that it had always been here. Christians had said, no, in the beginning, God created. Well, science has come around to that viewpoint today, that there was a beginning. The only argument now is on when that beginning was, but what a step toward the biblical position of there was in fact a beginning. If there's a beginning, there has to be something outside of time and space that created everything. We know what that entity was. We give it the name God based on the Bible. To deny all of these things is in so many ways to be an ultimate fool, according to the Bible and when you look at it. When you continue on in the Psalm 14 reading and Psalm 52 reading, we read, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that do, does good. The Lord looked down from heaven and upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that does good. No, not one. Then you have Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to know knowledge? You want to know how things work? You want to progress in wisdom? Have a proper respect for God. It doesn't mean to cower in fear, afraid that God's going to zap you with some kind of a lightning bolt, right? But it means to have a proper awareness of your position compared to God and respect for God. 
But notice what it says. Only fools despise wisdom and instruction. Only fools think there is no need for any learning or to be taught better how to behave or perform. Proverbs 12, 15, and 16. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkens unto counsel is wise. A fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covers shame. Too many people in our society think they know how to behave based on their own internal wisdom and thinking processes. And we can see how society is working out for people that follow their own counsel instead of the counsel of God. Proverbs 17, 12. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Now, unfortunately, I have never had to meet a bear. But we were always concerned about that in scouting based on where we might have been. You don't want to meet a bear, period, much less a bear that's all aggravated and mad because the cubs have been taken away from it. Bad enough when you have a human mama that's upset with you about something, much less a giant bear, as long as you can tell the difference. Sometimes that's not an insult to mothers. That's the way mothers are supposed to be for their children. So it's better to meet a she-bear, a mama bear, whose cubs are missing than to meet a fool in his father. Jeremiah 17, 11. Like the partridge that gathers a brood she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not justly. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at the end, he will be a fool. Think of a bird that takes up and tries to raise little chicks or some other little baby animals that aren't theirs. Once those little animals reach a certain age, they leave because they know that this is not their mama. And so the comparison here is that someone that gets rich without doing it justly and in the end of his days, he's going to be like a fool, just like the partridge with the youngins, if you will, who have left it. Then we get to the passage that was read, that Jeff read for us, Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. I'm going to show three versions, and it's the last version that we had read. The King James says it like this. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Well, that has a couple of phrases in it that I don't know about you, but I don't hear every day. I don't really hear talk, uh, people saying walk circumspectly. I know what that means, but I don't use the phrase. I certainly don't use the phrase telling somebody as they leave work, be sure to redeem your time. You know, we don't talk that way. So what does this really mean? This is the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It says, pay careful attention then to how you walk. That's what walk circumspectly means. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Use the time that you have properly in a wise way because so much of the time, so much of our days, so much of society is not in fact wise. And then I love the contemporary English version because it just cuts straight to the point. Act like people with good sense and not like fools. Talking to Christians. Act like people who are Christians. Act like people that have good sense and not like fools. These are evil times, so make every minute count. Take advantage of every opportunity. Make every minute count. So let's talk about 
the right kind of foolishness now. The right kind of foolishness. In 1 Corinthians 17, Paul is speaking here. He says, Christ sent him to preach the gospel, to spread the good news about Jesus. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, we all were told, the disciples were told, and we have been told in the same way, go therefore and teach all nations, teaching these people who have been made disciples, teaching these people who have been baptized, to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you, part of that is to go and teach. So the apostles were told to go and teach everyone, and whoever they taught was supposed to be taught exactly what they were, which included going and teaching others. One of the ways that we are to be in the right form of foolishness is to make sure that even in a society that by and large does not believe in Jesus, we've got to be talking about Jesus. We've got to be talking about Jesus, even if the people we are around look at us like we're half crazy. That's the proper kind of foolishness to have. They also, in Acts 5.42, daily in the temple and in every house, they, the apostles, did not cease preaching and teaching Jesus as the Christ. In Acts 8, when the church is kind of spread everywhere, when persecution begins and they start spreading out from Jerusalem and Judea, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Wherever they went, they were talking about Jesus. And then in Acts 26, when Paul uh, has made his way to Rome when he is waiting to have, Acts 28, when he is waiting to have his time before Caesar, since he had appealed to Caesar, we read this, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him doing what? Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Not everyone that came to Paul accepted what he told them. Continued discussing, continued disputing, but that did not stop him from talking about Jesus. Back to 1 Corinthians 17, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. For Christ sent Paul to preach the gospel. How? How to preach the gospel? Not with wisdom of words, not by studying oratory and having big $50 words that no one can pronounce that have 20 syllables in them not with some high-standing theological concepts. I'm not saying those are bad. It's important to understand the theological concepts. They have their place. But the key part is not to preach the gospel with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. The way to bring people to Jesus is not through philosophy, is not through fancy-dancy theological words, but it's to bring people to a knowledge of our position in sin and the only hope to changing that being the cross of Jesus itself. We'll talk about that more next week when we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. In Acts 26, 24, after Paul had been talking to Festus about Jesus, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you were beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Sometimes too much learning can drive you mad. You can get so entangled with learning that you forget how to apply it. Paul had been trying to convince Festus to become a Christian. The basic point is this. 
message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us being saved, it is the power of God. I promise you in our society today, if you went out and tried to talk about Jesus to 100 people, even 100 people in Nashville, Tennessee, a large number of those people would laugh at you. They would look at you like you were half crazy. They would think that I don't have any time for this. Why? Because as Paul said 2,000 years ago, the message of the cross, the message of what Jesus came to do, the message of the change that that ought to bring about in you and me is foolishness, unfortunately, to the people who are perishing. But that message of the cross is to those of us who believe it is wonderful explanation, evidence of the power of God to change lives. So that doesn't relieve us. The fact that it's viewed as foolishness by so many that hear it doesn't relieve us of the need to talk about Jesus. To talk about Jesus. Whoops. When you look at that in 2 Timothy 2, Paul had told Timothy to preach the word. No matter the reservations people might have to hear about the word, no matter the fact that Timothy was a young man, Paul told him to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season. I've always thought of that as be ready when you're gathered together with your brothers and sisters and be ready when you're out and about and it just happens to come up, right? Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering, with all patience and teaching. If you're around somebody, and you get the opportunity to talk about Jesus, it shouldn't be a one-and-done kind of thing. Don't treat it as, I talked to him about Jesus so I can check that off my list. Paul told Timothy, you need to preach the word, you need to talk about Jesus with a whole lot of patience because some of us are just a bit thicker-headed than others. Some of us take a little more talking to get this message through. Be patient with people. Don't give up on them at the first shot. And for thicker headedness, I have a pretty good example of that in my own self. Because it takes a long time, many, many days for me to have a message get through to me. He also says, convince, rebuke, exhort with a lot of patience, but with a lot of teaching. We need to know the message of Jesus. We need to know what Jesus wants of us well enough that we can teach that to other people. And the message so much is the fact that we are all sinners. We are all sinners. And that like in the parable of the prodigal son, we talked about this last week, the prodigal son says, I am not good enough to be called your son. That is a very true statement. None of us on our own are good enough at all to be called children of God. It's only through what Jesus came and did, taking our place, that allows us to have any hope of being free of the guilt of sin. That's the kind of thing we need to talk to people about. We need to talk to people about. For it is written, Paul says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Who is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In speaking in the first century, that's exactly what had happened. The first century thought the way to 
really reach inner peace was to unattach yourself from any obligations and responsibility to get to be essentially the way in Star Trek Spock was. Have no emotions. Don't care about anyone. Don't feel pain when somebody else feels it. To just take a step back and let the world move on and pass by you. That was what the first century taught. Do you see that some in the world today? I do. I see it where there's so much misery, people just tune it out rather than seeing the misery that's in the world, the pain that's in the world as a call for us as children of God to get involved and to show and to care for other people. You know, uh, I, I love somebody on Facebook that posted a message earlier this morning, I think it was Gina, asking if everybody here was okay based on the floods and based on all the storms. That's exactly the heart we need to have, which is to check on people, to care about people. Howard told me he was calling people in the middle of the night, making sure everybody was okay. We can't tune out the pain and suffering of the world because we are the only hope through Jesus that the world has. Continuing on. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I mean, the whole idea that someone could be killed on a cross on a couple of pieces of wood, or as the Jewish people would have viewed it, on a tree, and that that somehow can change the world would seem kind of foolish. It certainly was to the Greeks hearing about the resurrection. And to the Jews, they were looking for a Messiah that was going to lead a military fight to kick the Romans out. What do you mean the Messiah had to suffer and die? That's, that's half crazy. So many of the Jewish people had a tough time with it. Many of the Greeks and the people in philosophy of the first century had a tough time with it. But to those who were perishing, it turned out to be the message they needed. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. That's really not all that different today. What are the sources we are told of wisdom today? Well, you've got multiculturalism blending in everything, that there's not really a better way to live than any other. Who are you to tell somebody they're in sin? How can you tell somebody their lifestyle is really not a helpful lifestyle or that God doesn't want them to live that way? Inclusiveness. We're all, we're all on the same ship going to God, no matter whether you teach about other religions and even other gods. I see signs in my neighborhood sometimes that have all of that in there. Right? That's, a, that's a definite source, we're told, of wisdom today. Relativism, right? Or just science. Science is, in fact, the God that's going to lead us all to where we really want to be. Remember the context of these words. When Paul wrote this, he was speaking to a world that was seeking for Sophia, for wisdom. The people of that era believed if only they could find that wisdom, then they could find all they needed in life. They could find joy, happiness, they could find God, perhaps, if they could only find wisdom, the right knowledge. So they looked to the most likely place they thought to find that wisdom, right up here, right up here in the human mind, and it didn't work. It won't work today either. Paul, however, saw it differently. Paul said, you won't find wisdom and the salvation you believe comes, comes from it through the wise people of the day. You 
won't find it today either. You know, we, we hear the, the thing about uh, the pandemic, follow the science. Well, we all know the science has changed some. It doesn't mean that you don't adjust, but it doesn't mean it, it does mean that you don't have all the answers from human wisdom. We have to keep our eyes on God. In fact, that's what Paul said. You will find wisdom through the folly of what he was preaching, what we should be talking about, Jesus and Jesus crucified. But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, to those who hear the message, to those whose hearts the message touches, the solution to the problem that we all have of sin, the problem that we all have of separation from God is through Jesus and him crucified. Why is it that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God, should there be any, is stronger than men. What is this message preached? What is the message that we need to be talking about? that we need to carry with us day by day, that we need to have ready to discuss with our friends and people we meet? What is this message that is from God's wisdom? What is this message that has the power to save? It's this simple phrase right here. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Well, all of us are sinners. The only hope any of us have, the only hope anyone has, is to see what Jesus did when he came, when he lived the perfect life, when he died, and he died and was buried and then raised again so that I would not have to die. So that I would not have to die and forever be separated from God because he paid the price for the sins that I have had, have committed, I have done. He paid the price for you and he paid the price for anyone listening later online only hope any of us have is to understand what God did by sending his son Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if we are those sinners, then if you're not yet a member of God's family, you need to understand that he died for you, Jesus died for you. You need to accept that he is in fact the savior of the world and your savior. You need to turn your life around. You need to leave a life of sin. You need to quit living for yourself and you need to start living for God. You need to decide, I'm not going to live the way I have been. And we're also told, even in the Great Commission there in Matthew 28, that these people who become convinced of that need to be baptized in water, buried in water, to be raised to walk, Paul would say in Romans, in newness of life. It's time to die to the old way of you raised to walk as a child of God, free from sin and a member of his family. If you're already a member of his family, but your life just isn't on the path it needs to be, we're told that you can come and pray to God and he will gladly forgive if we express remorse for the sins in our life. If you need help, if you need prayer, if you need to become a child of God and you're here this morning, or if you're watching later and you need that, reach out to any of us and we will be glad to help because the call of God is always open to come to him today. He has such amazing grace and it is free for you. Let's think about that just together. We stand.